0: A lot of the Gita course and Ramdas' sadhana in particular are very much involved with the development of love and devotion. Love is a certain space in the mind. It's It's a certain place in the mind that's very open and very soft and very gentle, and that place in the mind, that space created by feelings of love, make the mind very workable, very pliable. It's very easy to do things with the mind when it's in that place of love, sending out loving vibrations. So it's a very beautiful complement to the practice of insight, because if you're in that space and then use it to develop awareness, to develop understanding, it becomes much easier. The development of love opens one up. It opens it opens up all the knots that are in us, and in that state of openness, it's very easy to then apply the insight, to apply mindfulness to see what it is that's happening. And there is a specific kind of meditation which is developed primarily for the cultivation of the factor of loving kindness. To to specifically cultivate that state of love in the mind. So we get to that place of openness in which we can then apply insight, apply, apply the wisdom. So what we're going to do today is to begin that practice of loving kindness, sending out loving thought. And you will see how it how it establishes the mind in that very open, receptive place and how easy then it is to practice mindfulness on what is happening there because we're all opened up then. There are two ways to develop this kind of loving-kindness. One is as a specific concentration technique which involves a mantra and a visualization and you can go into very high states of samadhi on the feeling of love. You can reach states of trance and absorption and the jhana levels. Very high high states of concentration on loving-kindness. You you become absorbed in the love. That's not primarily what we're concerned with here. That that requires a very special uh, place and practice. But there's another kind which is the general development of loving-kindness, just sending out loving thoughts, universally. That is, generating these thoughts of love not for a specific group of people, I'll send my, my love to them and not to them, rather generating it universally, wishing love for all beings without discrimination. This is done, this practice is done by repeating several different phrases expressing loving thought. For example, may all beings be happy. May all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free of suffering, free of pain. May all beings be enlightened. This repetition of these phrases, really feeling what the words mean, getting into the expression of may all beings be happy and what that means and how you feel in in doing it. When you sit down for meditation the first five or ten minutes of each sitting, you should sit and generate these thoughts of loving-kindness, just sending them out, sending them out into the universe. May all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free of suffering and free of pain. May all beings be enlightened. You can choose any phrases that you feel comfortable with. Just find, find a set of phrases of three or four that feel right to you, and which you can get into a natural rhythm with. Okay? It is a mantra. It's a mantra of loving kindness. So you want to be repeating these phrases very rhythmically, but really feeling what the words mean, really getting into the expression, to the sending out of these loving vibrations. It's a very beautiful practice, and you will see how it sets the mind up in that place of openness, just opens the mind up. So for 10 minutes or so, we do this practice, develop that openness of mind and then begin the practice of insight, of developing wisdom, we'll see how much easier it becomes. One other aspect of this sending out of loving thought is the clearing of the mind of any kind of tension or disturbance or hostility that we may have that we may have accumulated with other people. Often during the course of a day, either knowingly or unknowingly, we may have hurt or offended someone. So it's very nice when you sit down, just before you begin this practice of, of loving kindness, to ask forgiveness, to silently, if I have hurt or offended anyone in thought, in word, or in deed, I ask forgiveness and also to extend forgiveness to anyone who may have offended me okay to ask forgiveness if i have hurt anyone in thought in word or in deed and i freely forgive anyone who may have offended me either knowingly or unknowingly and that is a very great clearing of the mind it just clears away any lingering unpleasantness or tension that, that may have evolved in our relations with other people. And it puts the mind in a very nice place. You will experience what a nice feeling it is. So when you sit, begin with that practice and then do five or 10 minutes of sending out of loving thought by repeating those phrases, or any ones, any ones that you feel good with. Are there any questions about that? Okay, why don't we sit for about 10 minutes or so doing just that practice. (coughs) Repeat the phrases very rhythmically. Just may all beings be happy, be peaceful, be free of suffering. May all beings be enlightened. Really feeling what the words mean. We're going to break. We'll just do this. The asking of the forgiveness and the, and the loving kindness. About 10 minutes or so. Any questions about that kind of practice? Is
1: it, is it, is it all like change <clears throat> what you're saying or should you stick to the
0: same thing? Um, it doesn't matter really. If you, if you find a few phrases that you feel good with, and repeat them, you'll be adding the effect of a mantra, which makes the Samadhi strong. So not only will you be developing love, loving-kindness, but also strong one-pointedness. So that They're rhythm, one-pointedness. You know. But it, it, it's loose. You know, You want to just open up.
2: Right.
0: One thing you can try doing is, uh, you can do this practice both at the beginning and at the end. Okay? In the beginning it opens up the mind a lot, in the end you're doing it with a more concentrated mind because you've already been sitting for an hour, right? So the force of it is much greater. I would not dwell on it too long, you know, but if you do it every day, you will find that, that it's much easier to let go of the grudges that we feel. See, the, when, we're, when we're asking or extending forgiveness and generating thoughts of love, it's dealing with other beings, right? Other beings are concepts. Person is a concept. Man, woman are concepts. It's not the level of ultimate reality which is why we don't want to hang out in that place, although it's a very beautiful place to be, this space of love, but it's not touching the ultimate truth. So we want to generate the thought, open ourselves up, and then use that place to really investigate the ultimate nature of things. We We want to go beyond the concept of other beings. So we use the concept to develop this kind of feeling in us which is a very great openness, and then use that openness to really, to really hit at the ultimate truth underlying it. Is there any other questions?
3: I feel a lot more comfortable um, focusing
0: on my heart chakra and feeling. It does not matter. You can send it off from here, from the head, any place. That's okay. It doesn't matter. Okay, last week, in the beginning of the week, we discussed the five hindrances, those five mental factors, and how to make them the object of meditation when they arise. <laughs> Today we're going to do, discuss the five spiritual faculties, which are also five mental factors, the five factors of mind, which are a help on the spiritual path. In fact, they constitute the spiritual path, (coughs) the development of these factors. The first one is devotion, or faith, or confidence. Just confidence in what we're doing, or devotion in what we're doing. That factor of mind can also be begun to be developed in devotion to another being. But it's not the other being which is important. It's the devotional quality of mind which is important. The development of that particular mental factor. And it's a big help on the path because when devotion or faith or confidence is strong, it overcomes the hindrance of doubt, right? If you have strong faith, strong confidence, doubt does not work very much because you have that faith in what you're doing. So it's a very important factor to cultivate. But when it becomes very strong in the mind, when there's strong devotion or strong faith, then that very quality of mind should become the object of meditation. We should become aware that at this moment, devotion is strong or faith is strong. Otherwise it gets out of balance and we begin to identify with the devotion, we begin to get attached to it, and then it is no longer a help. As a mental factor in itself, it's a spiritual faculty. But it's only through being mindful of it when it arises that we allow it to work and to evolve properly. Otherwise, we get into the place of, I'm feeling such great devotion, all centered around the I concept, which then just becomes another hindrance. So when devotion is there, or faith or confidence, when it becomes predominant in the mind, we should just be aware of it with mindfulness, and just observe that quality of mind. Let it unfold as it will, without identifying with it, without getting attached to it. Okay? It's a very nice place to be, in that place of devotion. But that's not the end. It's only a means to to develop insight, to develop further understanding. So we don't want to get stuck in it. We want to develop that spiritual faculty and use it for, for the development of understanding. And that only comes about through being mindful, through being aware without getting attached to it, without identifying with it, merely observing that devotional aspect of mind when it arises. That's the first one. The second spiritual faculty is concentration which means one-pointedness of mind. This concentration gives strength to the mind. Without some degree of one-pointedness, it's very hard to penetrate into anything. The mind stays very scattered and superficial. So we have to develop the power of samādhi, the power of one-pointedness. When that, when that is strong in the mind, when, when you're sitting down and you're feeling very concentrated, That very state of mind should be made the object of the meditation so that we don't get caught up by it. We don't start identifying, oh, I'm very concentrated now and what a great yogi I am because my mind is now wavering in the whole trip, commenting, reacting to the concentration. We just want to observe it. It's a mental factor working in its own way. It has the function to keep the mind steady on the object, that's all concentration or samadhi is not i and it's not me and it's not self it's an impersonal impermanent mental factor so when it's present we should be aware of it we should be mindful of it so that we don't get attached and we don't identify with it samadhi is a very it's a very um alluring factor because it brings great bliss great happiness And there are very many yogis who develop very high states of samadhi and get caught by the happiness they just hang out in that place it's like going on vacation someplace you go to a very beautiful place and you stay and you enjoy yourself and you come back and you have to go to work again you can develop the concentration to a very high degree be in this very blissful place and you stay there and you stay there and you come back and you're right back where you started so we don't want to identify with it. We don't want to get attached to it. It's an important factor to cultivate. When it's strong, we should be mindful of it. We should be aware that at that moment, the factor of concentration is strong, not taking it to be I or self or mine. It's just a, it's just a faculty of mind working in its own way. Okay, there's devotion, there's concentration. The third spiritual faculty is effort or energy, energy of mind, effort of mind. And that is the root of all progress, of all growth of understanding. Nothing happens without an effort. It's very wishful thinking to think that enlightenment or freedom or wisdom or understanding is just going to drop down to us. It's not. It comes It comes through making an effort. But effort too is just a mental factor. It's not I, and it's not self, and there's no one who's making the effort. It's merely understanding the functioning of that particular mental faculty. It's the factor of effort which is making the effort. So when we're involved, when the mind is very energized and feel very inspired to, to be mindful, which is what the effort entails, it's not effort to do anything except to be mindful. When we feel that effort, that energy strongly we should be mindful, we should be aware that at that moment the factor of effort or energy is present. So that we don't identify with it. We don't start thinking, oh I'm making this great effort now and enlightenment is going to come. That's an identification, an attachment with that spiritual faculty. It's a mental factor only, it's not self and it's not mind. It's merely a factor working in its own way. So when it's predominant, that should become the object of the meditation so that we don't get caught up by it. We don't begin identifying with it as being self. There's devotion and concentration and effort, wisdom. Wisdom is the fourth spiritual faculty. Wisdom is like a light in the mind. If you go into a room and the room is all dark, completely black. You cannot see anything right all the objects are obscured by the darkness you can't see what they are or how they're working you just stumble around if you bring a light into the room you bring a candle or turn on the light then everything becomes revealed you can see all the different objects you can see how they're all working you make your way through them very clearly wisdom is the same factor in the mind it's a light in the mind it's an illumination so that all the different elements of mind and body become revealed. It's like turning on the light inside of us. Everything becomes clear, distinct, illuminated. Not only do we see what is there, but how these things are working. We see the process. But wisdom also is (coughs) is an impersonal mental factor. There's no one who is wise. It's just it's just the development of this certain faculty of mind which has the function to illuminate. So we're sitting in meditation and the mindfulness is strong and the concentration is strong and all these, all these profound insights are coming into the nature of our mind and body. We should be aware that at that moment the wisdom factor is present. Not to identify with it. Not to sit there thinking, oh, I understand so much and I'm so wise now. Because there's no one behind it. It's merely the working of that particular factor of mind, the illuminating factor. Right? So when it's present, we should be mindful of it, without identifying with it, without taking it to be self. There's one stage of insight, which as you walk along the path, where all these spiritual faculties get very sharp, just so everything becomes so clear and so distinct and it's working so effortlessly and it's it's a kind of happiness and insight and wisdom that's qualitatively and radically different from everything that ever went before and a ninety percent common experience of people who reach that stage is they think they're enlightened because it's such a powerful opening up a powerful clarity of vision that taking that stage to be enlightenment which it is not, it's just a stage on the path, is a very great hindrance, a great obstacle. And it comes about because of this subtle kind of identification with these different spiritual faculties. Right? It's taking the spiritual faculties as being self, and I'm enlightened now. Of course, that's, that can't be, as long as there's an I. So when these faculties are strong, we should be mindful of them. We should be very aware so that we don't get caught in that identification with them. Okay, there's devotion and concentration and effort or energy and wisdom. The fifth spiritual faculty, the last one, is mindfulness itself. Just that quality of mind, that factor of mind which notices the present object, which does not allow the mind to forget what the object is. For example you're sitting and there are thoughts going on maybe for two or three minutes you're not aware that thoughts are going on the mind is knowing the thought the thought is there but we're unmindful we are unaware that that is what's happening in the present moment mindfulness means picking up moment to moment remembering in each instant what the object is so that as soon as there's a thought in the mind the mindfulness is aware of it. The mindfulness notices, oh, thinking, thinking, just in the instant, and that way with sensations and different mental phenomena. Mindfulness means noticing what it is that's present. But mindfulness, too, is not self, and it's not mind, and there's nothing to get attached to. It's merely a mental factor working in its own way. When the mindfulness is strong, we should be aware that, oh, at this moment the mindfulness is very strong, that's all. To recognize it, not to identify with it, not to get involved with the I concept about it, right? If we can do that, as these spiritual faculties develop, then they bring all the factors of enlightenment to maturity. So we want to develop them, we want to let them evolve and unfold, but always being mindful, that is recognizing them when they're present without getting attached, without identifying ourselves with them, letting them unfold, functioning according to their own nature. So when we sit now, we start with the breathing, and then the awareness of the posture and sensations in the body, and thoughts and emotions and the hindrances, and these spiritual faculties also. Whenever they become predominant, they should become the object of the meditation at that moment. There should be no looking for them, right? Just sit back, let the river flow on, let the whole passing show of mind and body flow, and whatever it is that's the strongest, whatever is predominant, that's what we should be mindful of in that moment. Let it unfold by itself. And in the course of this unfolding, everything that's in the mind-body complex is going to be revealed. We don't have to do anything except sit back and watch. Very carefully. <coughs> are there any questions about that?
1: the issue is that that you can be
3: unmindful that the thoughts are what's happening in the moment. Well um light, light impulses are coming into my eye at the same time that sounds are coming into my eye and my ears.
0: It, it's not actually at the same time. The, the consciousness that sees is different than the consciousness that hears. So you're not seeing and hearing at the same time, although it is very quick. So
3: what do you mean by thoughts or what's happening then? It just, you just <coughs> I guess I'm confused about what the process is just, that the thoughts
0: are.
3: You know, like the
0: thought is an object of consciousness. Right? When you're involved in a thought, at that moment, the content of that thought is the object of consciousness. But there need not be mindfulness there. So we're, we're just caught up in the thought. The thought is the... <laughs> The thought is being thought, right? but we are not mindful of it. It's happening anyway. The factor of mindfulness is not present though. So we are unaware that it's happening. It's like a dream. The dream is going on, but we're unaware that it's going on. Right? We're, caught in it. we're caught in it. That's what mindfulness means. Always being aware of what the object is in the moment. Right. Any other questions? <coughs> Good. Why don't we sit for 15 or 20 minutes? Don't forget intentions. Hola, In that exercise, it's good to pick one or the other and stay with it, because the breath is used uh, in, a dual, in a dual function, one to develop mindfulness and second to develop samadhi. Right? So if you choose one or the other, the concentration aspect will be developed uh, deeper. So even when, when one feels stronger, stay with the place that you've chosen, and you'll reach subtler and finer levels. See the breath is a very interesting object because all other objects as you become as you concentrate on them, become clearer and clearer and more and more distinct. When you concentrate on the breath, it becomes finer and finer And so to, to remain with the, the fine breath as the object, the mind has to get very fine right? So if you stay with one and it starts to get very subtle and then you go to the to the grosser aspect of the breath here, you're staying on that and then more gross level. Whereas if you really tune the mind to stay with the fine breath, the mind gets very, very quiet. Sometimes a loud,
3: sharp sound will happen while I'm meditating, and I can feel like, I, I can hear it happen, and then an instant later I jump, and like, that seems to be, there seems to be no
0: mindfulness with that at all. I, I don't really know what's happening. No, oh, that's okay. That, like, there's a lot of uh, reaction of the body to external stimuli. The mindfulness is just... Not in not jumping, but just in being aware of whatever it is that's happening. In other words, to be aware that you're hearing, and then if the body vibrates, to be aware of the vibration. How
3: how could I... I, I'm not aware of it while it's happening. It's like, afterwards,
0: I find out that I've done it. However, you know, in the beginning, the mindfulness is is weaker, so we don't pick up as many things right in the moment. But whenever you're aware of it, at that point, be mindful that that had happened. And as the mindfulness develops, it'll be more and more just instant to instant, right with what's happening. But that's what what the practice is developing then. Would
3: you say, again, the ideas about peace and happiness and suffering and
0: so on? There are different phrases that can be used. For example, may all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings be free of suffering. May all beings be enlightened. Or you can use phrases like, May all beings be free of pain, free of ill will. May all beings be happy. Any kind, anything that you, know, you feel good. But sort of hit upon a formula that feels right to you and has a nice rhythm you know, in your mind. And then repeat that. You know, because it will develop both the concentration aspect and the development of the love.
3: Um, one of these, the ways that I see meditation is important is that it allows the thought the mind objects to come up to the surface and then disappear again. But I noticed um, that when I become mindful of a thought, it immediately disappears most of the time. And I'm not sure... Whether the thoughts are
0: ready to go, if they're not, they'll be back. You know, there's nothing we have to do to to program ourselves as far as a cleansing process. The mindfulness itself keeps the system clearing out. Right. So the thought comes. You want to be developing a strong mindfulness because insight comes not from the content level, but from seeing impermanence. The whole thrust of the meditation is to get to the point where you, can, where you can be aware of every object and every moment of consciousness as arising and passing away. It's that flow of impermanence which develops insight. In that process, a lot of the, the content which has been stored is cleared out, you know, because we're not reacting to it anymore. It comes up, we're mindful of it, and if we're not clinging or condemning, it just comes and goes. If it's a strongly conditioned thought or emotion, At that moment, it will come and go, and five minutes later it's going to come again. The content's the same. The the thought moment is different. So you don't have to worry about if it's still in you, it's going to come again. And again you watch it and it'll it'll go away. The primary emphasis should be on, on observing the impermanence. Because then what comes doesn't matter. When you're really firmly grounded in the experience that everything is momentarily appearing and disappearing, what it is that's arising and vanishing becomes somewhat irrelevant because it's gone in a moment, you know, and you're just with that flow of impermanence. Does that relate?
4: Uh, I find that, well, I find it Eve better for me, better for my concentration. If I keep, keep um, concentrating on my breath, rather than um, when, I, when I have pain, saying pain, pain, pain. It just seems that my concentration, like, you know, if I just ignore it completely, it seems like I can. And, 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 I, and when I find myself, you know, going from my breath to other things and then coming back, I don't find my concentration to
0: stay as strong. Okay, there are two things involved. That's fine. So if you feel comfortable with just staying on the breathing stay on the breathing. But concentration and mindfulness are two different factors. Right? The breath is a concentration meditation, primarily. You need a certain degree of one-pointedness in order to develop mindfulness, in order to be aware of all the different objects with a concentrated mind. With a sharp moment-to-moment mm-hmm. mindfulness, you have had to develop a certain minimal amount of samadhi, which is why staying on the breath is fine. You, you, know, you you build up that power of one-pointedness. But sometimes just sit and practice this choiceless awareness, because that will cultivate the mindfulness factor, which means m- noticing moment-to-moment what it is that's happening. Okay? Be with the w- if it feels comfortable and feels right to just stay with the breathing, that's okay. From time to time, just sit back and then use that concentration which you've been developing to get insight into the process of all things. And you'll, you'll feel when when that balance is, is, uh, when those two factors are brought into a greater balance, the concentration and the mindfulness.
3: There, there seemed to be something different happening when I was meditating that time, and, I, and I, don't know I, I don't know if this is what I'm supposed to be doing at all, but um, this time when I was meditating, it seemed that when a thought arose... It, it didn't really particularly matter what the thought was. There was sort of like an aura about what was happening. When, and when I was concentrating on the pain, it was a different aura. And it, it didn't make any difference what the content of it was. But, so I started concentrating on what, on, on like what the consciousness felt like. Rather, and the same thing happened with the breathing. Like, I wasn't trying to see the breathing. It was just breathing was happening. and It
0: was a consciousness with that, too. Is that... Is that, is that hey, t- there is no rule. Right? The only rule. <laughs> There is no rule, the only rule is <laughs> to be mindful of whatever it is that's happening. It can be the mindfulness of the consciousness, of the knowing faculty. It can be the, the mindfulness on the object itself. Right? Whatever, whatever happens to be the predominating thing in the moment, that can be the object of awareness. You can, you can be watching your states of mind You know, in this process. Just don't get involved with them, not, not to identify with, oh, I'm knowing it this way, but just to see the knowing itself as another process. I, the, the
1: biggest
3: difference to me the reason that I thought it was significant was that I wasn't, was that, like I wasn't getting attached to the
0: content, of anything. Right. But also you don't want to get attached to the concept of knower, Right? Because there's no one behind the knowing process. The knowing is arising and passing away, just like the object. So you can be mindful of that knowing, but there should not be involvement or identification with it. Just to observe the knowing. Keep in mind that always what we're aiming for is insight into impermanence. To see how things are arising and passing away. Whatever the object is, whether it's the physical objects or mental objects or consciousness, to just with a very silent mind observing the flow.
4: When you talk about the observing, I find myself um, watching and being mindful, but I'm separating the two. Like there's uh, somebody watching something else. You're always be mindful. Watching.
0: I- Actually, there's no one who's being... Mindfulness is a mental factor which works in a certain way. It functions so as to notice the object. There's no one behind it. In the beginning, when the mindfulness is beginning to be developed, there is an effort required to be mindful. The effort also is not self. It's just another factor. But at early stages, there's a subtle tendency to identify... With the effort to be mindful.
2: Right?
0: We're not really seeing the effort as just another mental factor, but identifying. So it feels as if there's someone who's doing it. Actually, there's not. It's just this interplay of mental faculties. I
2: feel like it's not somebody's doing it,
0: it's no- Okay. When the, when the mindfulness is stronger, you can observe the knowing of the object. Right? Before, that, before we observe that knowing process, there's a a very subtle identification with consciousness itself. Someone who's knowing everything. Actually, consciousness and the object are arising and passing away together. Just arising and passing away. A new moment of consciousness. The knowing of the sound is a completely different mind moment than the knowing of a sight. It's happening very quickly, this oscillation is arising and vanishing. When the mind is quiet, you can observe the consciousness arising and passing away. And that begins to break the identification with the knowing. Mm-hmm. Then you see that the knowing too is just a process and that there is no one behind it. It's just knowing an object, knowing an object, knowing an object arising and passing away. In the course of the practice, either in the walking or the sitting, the walking it's really it's much easier. Sometimes be aware of the movement, and sometimes really try to, to be mindful of the knowing of the movement. Right? They are happening simultaneously, so you cannot separate them, but you can distinguish between them. The movement is physical, and the knowing is mental. Don't look for a place where knowing is happening, because you won't find it. But nevertheless, it's there, it's immaterial, right? The movement and the touch is physical, the knowing is mind, is consciousness. Sometimes in the walking, try to focus the mindfulness on the knowing process. And it, it's very interesting. What exists in the gap between and consciousness? It's just, it's, it's a continuous, just at the instant of vanishing, is one arising. Anyway, I'd, 17 trillion in a, it's pretty quick, you
2: know. <laughs> I feel
3: like you just spoke by this, huh? I'm still not sure. But if mindfulness is a mental faculty, how does one be mindful,
0: mindfulness? When, <coughs> actually, it's one mind moment, being aware of mindfulness in the previous one in other words it this mind-body process is a continual succession of moments mindfulness works in being aware of the previous object but it happens so fast that for practical purposes it's simultaneous but in fact what's happening is you're aware of the previous object having arisen and passed away it's very quick and it's experienced as being just aware in the moment, because it's a very, very rapid process. So when mindfulness is present, you are aware that that faculty is strong, but it's a different mind moment. It's one mind moment being aware of the previous mind moment as being very mindful. Okay. Where do you find the conflict? Well,
4: in 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 saying that there are moments, there is time and sequence.
0: The experience is always in the present. The content of the present experience can be something that has already occurred, but it's happening now. It's not. The experience of the past object is in the present and there's always just the present as far as experience
4: past
0: Past is a past is a concept it's a concept which is derived from a whole class of objects for example you have a memory or or thoughts about plans or imaginings these thoughts are happening now they're happening in the present but we we categorize those class of thoughts as being past or future, right? but it's happening in the in the present moment. So the experience is just always of the now. The past and future are concepts which we create out of this certain class of thoughts, like memories and and planning. Desire and anger and sloth and torpor and restlessness and doubt. I have some thoughts to
1: trigger flood of emotions, but
3: I don't know I don't have labels for any emotions,
0: all of it is feelings. Would you say the thing you do is to do something like feelings, feeling. Right. The label is not what's important. It's the experience of what's happening. Be aware of them, and without identifying with them. Just, the thought is the cause, the emotions are the effect, and it's all just this impersonal process going on. And if you're mindful, they come and go. One point
1: one-pointedness focus on the moment where it's something more like
0: mindful that on things that just happen? No, t- one-pointedness is that function of the mind which keeps the mind steady on the object. It's all, it can only be in the moment, because that's what's there. You know. Mindfulness is that which, re, which remembers what the object is, and it, so there are two different functions. One is the steadying factor, and one is the recollecting factor. Recollecting of the moment, not of the past. In the
1: walking meditation, I find one problem, that it's, so as not to bump into people, I have to Open my eyes. Most of the time, I prefer to keep my eyes mostly closed. I find it
2: rather
0: disconcerting to have to remember to not bump into people and look around. Is there a way around that at all? One is
2: to walk in a place where there are no other people.
0: (laughs) You know, these these rooms are not, this is not the best situation for doing the walking meditation. Um, But always remember that the whole meditation practice is one of developing mindfulness so if you're in a situation where there are a lot of other people and there's that consideration when that arises you should be mindful of it there's nothing wrong with taking that as the object of the meditation the thought arises not to bump into people oh thinking thinking it's as good an object as the walking you don't want to you don't want to discriminate between objects if they're all equal precisely because they are all impermanent and it's seeing the impermanence which develops wisdom you can see impermanence any place right on any object at all externally internally mind body everything is part of the flow and what we want to do is become aware of that process of arising and vanishing of all phenomena so wherever you look it will be okay whatever object Don't have concepts about um, where the consciousness is. If you're on the breathing and you feel a sensation here, it's just a sensation. That's all. Just let it happen. Be aware of it without without getting attached to it, without identifying with it. And you'll see that this is a flow of sensation. It's not one thing. (coughs) Be with it as long as it's predominant and back to the breathing again. There's (coughs) nothing special about any state at all. There's nothing special about sensations in any special place. So they're all equal, right? um, When you were talking about one in the
4: previous slide,
0: it doesn't, that's really, that's a, a fairly accurate theoretical description of it, but that's not how it's experienced. So it's not so important because it's happening so quickly. Like the Buddha said, there are 17 trillion mind moments in an instant. So the fact that one mind moment, you're being mindful of the previous one, we're not on, we're not picking it up on that level. No, it does not work like that. No. You will see in your practice. It's just. <coughs> When the mindfulness is really strong, and that's just be aware that at that moment the mindfulness is strong. Okay. The infinite regression series does not, in fact, happen.
4: Yes. negativity out of them. And he would like take your negativity and give good feelings that them uh, love feelings back to them. And that you had to be careful if you were sitting with a group or a person um, who wasn't able to really uh, take your negativity and interline with more no or less. Because um, it, it could really be sort of disastrous or you could get negative feelings back to you, which would be Yesterday, I was going really.
0: But one thing is it's not so helpful to get involved in the concepts of what's happening. That whole description is a whole is a whole concept, right? It's a conceptual picture of, of negativity being thrown out and somebody neutralizing it. Actually what's happening is just a succession of arising and passing away of different states. If you're mindful then, then you remain unaffected. It doesn't matter, whatever is coming at you, if you're aware of it, it doesn't cause any disturbance because you're just you're mindful of whatever feelings or sensations or emotions arise, and not identifying with them, so it doesn't matter. It can be negative, it can be positive, it can be love, it can be ill will. They're all equal if you're mindful. So you're just watching them all come and go. So the whole practice is really the development of that kind of mindfulness. No, you don't have to worry about the transmutation of energies. It's, isn't continuity of the mind important? Continuity of mindfulness. <laughs> At every moment you should be mindful. Would you say mindful, as if I
5: understand what that word means?
0: Mindfulness means noticing at each moment what the object is without clinging, without condemning, without identifying with it.
5: Can't you have continuity of the mind moments that go back in infinite regression to where you're still remembering a question that was asked by someone about the concept of time, which you answered in terms of being mindful and there's no, there's no continuity. I'm still remembering in continuity of thoughts that lead back to a question where sure, right? There is
0: a continuity the of answer process. Answer
5: wasn't satisfied, right? And I was trying to figure out where the dissatisfaction lay in, you know, the uh, question and answer. Right.
0: I don't exactly know what you're asking. No.
5: I don't either. <laughs> <laughs>
0: You know, it's not, it's a mistake to think that these processes are happening randomly. It's a, there is a continuity of process, and there's a whole memory a whole memory system and, and perceptual pickup where we remember things, and so we have available for us a whole storehouse.
2: But what do we do with that storehouse?
0: <laughs> there is nothing to do except to be mindful of what is happening in the present moment.
5: This is what we are doing in that storehouse.
0: We're not doing anything. We're letting the whole process unfold just as it will. We're not trying to control this mind-body process. We just want to be aware of how it is unfolding. In other words, no control, no saying, I'm going to think about these things and not think about these things. Whatever comes up, choiceless awareness, just to stay in the present moment, being mindful of whatever presents itself. When we're on the thought level, when we're on the concept level, we can, we can deal with a certain kind of communication. Right? The meditative level, then there's no, there's no control, it's just sitting and watching. It's two different levels of mind. There's the, there's the level of silent awareness, and there's the, the thought conceptual level. When you're in that level of thoughts, you're very much involved in content. Right? Which
5: is what we're involved
0: in. Right, about. exactly. exactly. But this is, this is not primarily the meditative level. The meditative level is where you're sitting and just being aware in the moment of what's happening without choosing. Can't
5: you meditate in this
0: level? If you're very mindful. Generally, when people are involved in talk, generally, they're not so mindful. But it could happen. It could happen. Who
5: to? Pardon? Who's to judge
0: the happiness? Who's to what?
5: To judge the happiness.
0: What does that mean? Uh,
5: Mindfulness. I mean, this is not a mindful moment?
0: It it depends on the mind. If you are mindful, you're mindful, and if you're not, you know... If the mindfulness is well-cultivated, it will be there. If it's still weak, probably in this situation, it won't be. There's There's no external rule. It all depends on one's own evolution of mind. Right in this room, There are many, very many, different levels of consciousness happening, you know. And it depends on on what each of us bring to each situation. That's why the sitting practice, the the meditation practice, is so important, because in the beginning of the development of mindfulness, it's very difficult to stay moment-to-moment aware of what's happening when we're doing a lot of different things on the thought-concept level. So we practice, we sit down, or we restrict our activities and really devote an intensive effort to a silent awareness. The practice is is really essential to the development of of that kind of moment-to-moment mindfulness. I don't know if that relates at all. (laughs) Well, to what to you said. I don't think so because I have the feeling that there's a great deal of identification with what's going on. Mm-hmm. Every time there's this hunger, there's the identification with the hunger and the screaming, <laughs> or, you know. Mindfulness means being aware of what's happening in the moment without the clinging, without attachment, without aversion, without identifying. I mean, the re- this is just on the theoretical level, which you can accept or not, but it's said <laughs> that, in fact, the reason we are reborn is precisely because we weren't so mindful in our, in our dying moment. <laughs> <laughs> right.
2: right.
0: right. <coughs> Anything
3: else? Have you said that mind objects arise of themselves and we have no control over them arising?
0: Thoughts usually come uninvited. There are causes behind them. It's not to say they arise without cause.
3: And, but also effort isn't, is a mind object. I mean, it's a...
0: Effort is a mental factor. But then um, I'm not
3: sure how how we make effort. I mean, I can feel myself making effort, but I don't understand. It's just an
0: it's just an interplay of impersonal processes, right? There's a certain degree of understanding of how things are. Okay, that's a that wisdom, a <laughs> wisdom factor of mind, can be the cause of the effort factor arising, because of the understanding. So there's, there's the energy involved to be mindful. But the wisdom is not self, and the energy is not self, and the mindfulness is not self. It's, it's like a jigsaw puzzle. You know, it's all these factors in a certain relationship of cause and effect to one another. When you take all the pieces of the jigsaw puzzle apart, the picture of the, of the pretty lady that was in the puzzle is gone, right? The, 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 the Pretty Lady is just the concept that arises when all the pieces are fit together. All we are is a jigsaw puzzle. We're just a lot of different pieces, you know, of material elements and mental elements, and because we have not analyzed, we have not sat, sat down and really looked at what composes us, we are caught by the picture, by the concept of all these elements fitting together, right? But when we see that they're all just, they're just rising and passing away moment to moment, so then we get, we get free of the particular concept and see actually what all these pieces are. Yeah. And that there's no one behind it. There's no, there's no lady behind the pieces you know, of the puzzle. All that there are are those pieces. And all we are are this combination of material elements and mental elements in a certain process. But we form a concept based on that process. And mostly we, we dwell in that, in that realm of concept of man or woman. Just do an experiment for a moment. Close your eyes. Try to determine whether you're a man or a woman. Very difficult, because all you feel are sensations. You feel heat, or cold, or tingling, or man or woman is a concept based on a certain visual form, but it's a concept that we're very much involved with, right? The same thing, person or individual, is a concept based upon this input of certain kinds of sense data. But when you stop and experience what it is that's happening, on the experiential level those concepts disappear. When the mind is silent, when there are no thoughts at all in the mind, there's no man, there's no woman, there's no self, there's no time. All of those things are concepts, which can be used. It's not to say that we, we throw all the concepts out. We use the concepts, but it should be done with an understanding of the underlying reality, right? so we don't get caught up by them into unwholesome states of clinging and condemning.
3: what you're
0: saying, but I still feel like I'm experiencing, that I'm
3: deciding. Okay,
0: that feeling should be made the object of mindfulness. It's identifying with that particular feeling that I'm making the effort. Whereas actually that's just another feeling. So when you have that sort of reaction to what's happening, make that very reaction the object of the meditation. And look at it, and you'll see that that too comes and goes. In other words, there's no, no corner you want to back yourself into from which you're observing everything else because the very corner is part of the process that's arising and passing away. It's letting go of everything, not having any place to stand at all. Mm-hmm. And whenever you feel yourself standing in a certain place, make that place the object of the meditation. And you'll see that that too is, is coming and vanishing. There's one, one uh, level of experience in the meditation where whatever you turn your attention to, you see it as dissolving. Just instant to instant, everything is dissolving. Consciousness, objects, mental, physical. Very microscopically, dissolution is happening. And it's very much like being on the side of a cliff that's crumbling away, and you're trying to hold on to something, and every time you try to hold on, that very thing crumbles away too. Nothing to hold on to at all. All you can do is, is be with the flow no place to stand, no place to grasp at, nothing to be attached to. Because it's all just coming and dissolving. In the Diamond Sutra, there's one line which contains the essence of all the teachings of the Dharma. And it says, develop a mind which clings to naught. Develop the mind which does not cling to anything whatsoever, not not to consciousness, not to objects, internal, external to let go completely, and that's what the meditation is about. So whenever you feel yourself identifying with any aspect at all, either of the effort aspect or the mindfulness, wherever you feel that kind of holding, make that very thing the object of the meditation, and you will see that that too is, is impermanent and impersonal.
2: Right?
0: Letting go all around, just, just freeing ourselves on all sides.
5: So, when this changes, then I'll be clinging to some other underlying reality, which is the of the conversation. And I don't think it's a question of getting out of being a man, although that eventually
0: you know, is the object. No, it's not. It, it's learning. What the eye sees is color. You do not see man or woman. The eye sees color. The the labeling of it as man or woman or person that's a mental process. It's, the it's just a thought. So there's seeing and then thinking. When you're on the process level, we don't we don't get caught in those concepts. Although the concepts are there.
5: This is the process level. Right. Right. And this is the underlying reality. That's no thought. And you say don't
0: Not clinging does not mean disappearing in a puff of smoke. <laughs> you know, It means being aware of what's happening without, without attachment, without the greed factor. Right? Clinging is the mental factor of greed, which functions, the function of greed is stickiness, right? stickiness to the object. Everything stays exactly the same, the same thing is happening, all the people are in the room and the talk is going on, but the mind doesn't have to stick to it. Just non-greed is the letting go. Being aware of what's happening, not that things disappear, being aware of the process without grasping. Just letting it all flow. Nothing changes. It's not that it's not that all the objects change. It's merely that we're not holding on to them. That is, ex- when, we're with, when we're with the picture, we get caught in all sorts of, oh, that's nice, and that's not nice, and that's, you know, I want that, and I don't want that. When you're with the pieces, not only, it's a, not only is it a three-dimensional jigsaw puzzle, but it, it's also operating, it's also in motion, in the sense that everything is, all the pieces are arising and passing away. So not only are they pieces, but they're, they're in process. Right? And when you're on that level, no, we're no longer caught on that content concept. Right? And the mind stays very balanced. Anything else? This
1: sounds very familiar to me. Um, in psychology, there was an argument between the structuralists who believed very much elements of sensation when you're talking about a Gestalt psychologist that felt that the natural unit that the natural unit of consciousness or experience should be the data. And like what you were saying about the floor being real and solid, it seems to me to be a more natural unit of no. experience.
0: There is, when you say the floor is being solid, there are two different things involved there. One is the feeling of solidness which is real. The other is the concept of flaw which we put onto that feeling of solidness. Flaw is a mental concept. Flaw does not exist, except as a concept. What exists is the the feeling of hardness, right?
1: Right, yet that feeling of hardness is not really, it's a passing and a... It's a reoccurrence of feeling of solidity. But what I'm saying is that this technique of meditation is not as, actually I'm not saying this, I'm just, sorry, sorry. that the technique of meditation <laughs> is not as natural a process as our experience of this, that we're doing something um, just like we're analyzing the process. No, no,
0: the, the meditation is exactly the experience of this. It's the experience of the different elements as they present themselves, of hardness and of softness and of hearing and of seeing and of thinking and of emotions. It's exactly being with the experience rather than staying with the concept about the experience.
1: Does the experience ever get to the point of hardness, 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 off-on sure. hardness? That's the st- conscious experience. Like, like the theory is that it comes and it goes. Right. It's passing. Well, what I'm asking is, with meditation, do we get to a place where we experience the on-off of the hardness?
0: Sure. Sure. That's what it's all about. It's starting with the picking up of the hard, where the primary, the primary uh, data is the experience of the different elements. Right? So you feel hardness or softness or heat or cold. And the, whole, the, the mindfulness is really picking up on those distinct elements. Right? When the momentum is built up, those elements remain the same, but the mindfulness sort of makes an intuitive leap, and picks up primarily the process of them, right? They're still the same. It's still the hardness and softness and heat and cold. But instead of being primarily concerned with what it is, the the primary concern with the meditation then becomes the process of them, right? But to get to that point, what's involved is very much becoming mindful of what each, each of the sense data is, the hardness or coldness or whatever. And it's just like building up that frequency of noticing. You, you notice more and more, at a greater and greater frequency, objects coming and going. So there's hardness, coldness, thought, thinking, seeing, hearing, sensations, very, very quickly. And you get to a take-off point, where the frequency, the momentum has built up so much that it's all just flowing by itself then. And you're really aware of that flow of impermanence. But still, it, it's what is impermanent is exactly these different elements. See, the whole idea is to get on the experiential level rather than the thought level about what things are, but to experience what's happening.
5: Up until that level, don't you need the continuity?
0: What do you mean by the continuity of thought process? I mean,
5: can't you take the thought process, which is this random element that's uh, happening all the time. they have a continuity of thought, like in terms of a one point.
0: Right, but if you're, if you're involved on in that thought level, that moment you're not experiencing what happen, what's happening. You're, you're in the concept about what's happening. But
5: the experience is also
0: no, they, consciousness does not have two different objects at the same time. So if you're thinking about something, at that moment you're not experiencing it. What's happening at that moment is that the thought is happening.
5: But the experience and thought are alternate.
0: Okay, you don't want to, you don't want to get stay in the words about things. If you're thinking, to be aware that you're thinking. If you're experiencing some sensation, to be aware that you're experiencing it. Not to go, for example, you experience heat in the body. Okay, you pick up the heat. Then the mind goes off on a whole trip, oh, I'm feeling hot and I wonder what this means and maybe I'm getting enlightened and...
2: <laughs>
0: if, you're, if you stay on that whole associative train of thoughts, at that moment, you're not aware that you're thinking and you're not aware of the heat.
5: What can I be aware of while I'm
0: That very much is, is part of the development of insight. You see an intention to stand and you stand. The intention is the cause, the standing is the effect, and you see that on a on a more and more subtle level in the whole mind-body process. The things in the body are causes for effects in the mind, and things in the mind are, are causes for effects in the body. So all
5: the that have to be to
0: it it's it's a it's it's not at the same moment, but it's there's the cause and there's the effect. Yeah. And Sure, there's a continuity. There's a continuity of process. Right? And
5: that's important, I
0: think. It, it, it's there. It's not, it's not important or not important. <laughs> that's <laughs> how it is. Is
5: it important to understand that it's
0: there? The understanding comes not from thinking about it. The understanding comes from, that, from the experience of the flow. In other words, we're not primarily engaged in an intellectual understanding of what's happening. We want... No. That's very secondary because there are lots of people who read all the books and understand all the theory and do not understand the Dhamma. You know? The understanding comes intuitively from a silent mind, not, not from the intellectual level. When you experience the continuity of process, then you will understand it, not thinking about it. And you can only experience how that process is working by sitting down and being mindful moment to moment. That kind of intuitive wisdom is not the result of, of a thought process. It's the result of a silent experience of what's happening. Right? And out of that silence comes, comes that intuition. That, oh, this is how it is. There is a continuity of process. You know? But that's, that's based on your experience then. And then the dharma, then that understanding comes from yourself and not from, not from external sources. You know, One of the things my teacher said very often was that the Buddha's enlightenment was his. <laughs> it's not mine. And really it doesn't help me, except as a pointing out of what I have to do. Right? Each one of us has to get enlightened, or has to has to start observing the process for himself. And to know what somebody else said, it does not help very much. It it's purely secondhand. So what we have to do is sit down and just experience these things for ourselves. That's why it does not you can. Anything that's said in these classes, it's completely irrelevant whether you believe them or not. It just makes no difference at all. The important thing is sitting down and seeing for yourself what it is that's happening. It's going to be meeting two times a week, three hours a time, three hours a session, and roughly divided into a talk, a discussion, and an hour of meditation. The meditation instruction will be the same, the talks will be somewhat different. Um, the only repetitious part would be the meditation instruction.
1: Right. Oh.
0: <laughs> yes, Thursday and Friday. Right. right.
1: Friday? What? Friday at Thursday.
0: Right. The schedule I think is up on mm-hmm. right. we'll be available to speak it off for um Wednesday. For uh,
2: instructor for you know right. mm-hmm. Wednesday about what Nine thirty
0: to eleven and three to four
3: right. right. thirty. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Tell us something about the schedule that seems to be following yet
0: to be Getting up at about four, four thirty. Walking, sitting eating breakfast, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, eating lunch, walking, sitting, walking, sitting, <laughs> tea. Will this be
3: up to you? Whether you? How much you walk or sit, or will it be said periods of... There'll be
0: some group, there'll be some group sittings, and some time where you're just doing it, you know, individually. What
3: uh, things like yoga,
1: exercise,
0: schlapy... If somebody wants to do like 10 or 15 minutes a day, It would be not. It would not be encouraged to get into a whole yoga trip. You'll find that as, two things, one, in doing a lot of walking, like there's walking after each sitting. So that means the walking is quite a few hours a day. You'll find that that keeps the body, you know, reasonably together. Um, Also as the concentration improves, the body gets very light. And, and people in, with very good samadhi can stay for days, just sitting in one position without movement. Right? They're in a state of samadhi. But it's, just, it's just energized by life, and there's no stiffness and no, or we, most people don't get to that, that degree, <laughs> but you, you will experience that as your concentration improves, the body gets very flexible in light and it does not need you know, any kind of rigorous uh, exercise. But it could, for for like ten or fifteen minutes if somebody wants to do it, it would be okay. And then the rest of the day will be Very mindful. Everything it'll it be very rhythmic, very slow, very balanced, very mindful. All action you could take an hour or two eating. The the whole eating is gonna be eating medica. One thing I
3: thought Samadhi was like
0: Samadhi means one-pointedness of mind. Right? There are levels, there are degrees of one-pointedness, all the way just from the moment-to-moment awareness of the object involves a certain amount of one-pointedness, to very high states of like cosmic consciousness, or universal consciousness, where everything is one. That's still all part of the wheel, right? from, from a low state to a very high state of consciousness. It's impermanent. Even in that state of universal consciousness, the process of impermanence is going on. The the end of inside meditation is getting off the wheel entirely. Not not landing in any place whatsoever, no matter how beautiful or expansive it is. Because any conditioned place is still impermanent and you're still liable to to come back again. And how do
3: you get off the wheel? Like you say you get stuck in Samadhi It's exactly through being mindful.
0: Through developing insight into impermanence, which comes from this practice of mindfulness. You sit and you just see the whole flow. When you're you're doing samadhi practices, you're not seeing impermanence. You're fixing the mind on a single point and becoming absorbed into it. And it's valuable. Like a highly concentrated mind is a very powerful mind, which can then be used to develop wisdom, right? But by itself it's not. It just has the function to stay steady on the object or absorbed into it. The way to develop insight into impermanence is just to be mindful moment to moment, to see each moment how things are arising and passing away. And it builds up a tremendous momentum and tremendous balance of mind. And out of that balance, enlightenment can happen. do it. And then, you know, you won't have to think about it. <laughs> How does
1: the one-pointedness relate to the mindfulness?
0: They're two different factors, but they without some degree of one-pointedness, you cannot be mindful. Good. Right. The mind, the mind is just scattered. And the stronger the one-pointedness, the easier the mindfulness is. People who have strong states of samadhi who practice insight, it's very easy for them. They don't have any of the struggles that we have with the hindrances or the pains or Every time they feel a pain, they go into a state of samadhi. Their body fills with light, and then they meditate on that rapturous feeling. Right? But they have to use the samadhi to see impermanence. How many hours a day do you spend in meditation? Well, everything becomes the meditation, so it's from the time you get up to the time you go to sleep.
2: Do we have time to read
0: No, that reading and writing are really discouraged. Because that's all the concept level. In other words, this is really a serious effort to penetrate into the nature of things. And the way to do that is to stay on the experiential level moment to moment. Now the example is given. If you want to boil a pot of water, you put it on the stove, and five minutes later, you take it off. You put it back, and you take it off. It'll take forever to come to a boil. If you keep it on the stove, just in a very short time, it's going to stop boiling. And it's the same way with developing insight. If you sit for a couple of hours and then you read a book or write a letter and then you sit and then you do something else, it takes a long time. If you really do it intensively, moment to moment, then in a short time you really you really penetrate. And that's that's sort of the the purpose of an intensive retreat. You won't need food. You'll need like uh, bedding, a sleeping bag or something probably. No, I I think I've never been to the place. I hear that there are something like a lodge